0: Welcome to Engaged Company Culture, a podcast directed at you, helping you to stop the employee exodus in your organization. This podcast has three different types of episodes. First, you have tips, tricks, observations, stories, research from me, Dr. Katherine Weiberg of Profitable Alignment. Second, interviews with other consultants, other coaches who are here to serve you so you can learn other tips and tricks to engaging your employees, to stop the employee exodus, to consciously create and continue a company culture where people want to be and where they encourage other people to come to work and to become your customers. Third, I interview other business leaders who have engaged company cultures and want to share their stories. You might learn from them how they have applied principles of company culture to increase their employee retention, increase their profits, increase their productivity, and increase everyone's job satisfaction. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Engaged Company Culture. Today's guest is Andrea Michelle. She and I, when we first met, just decided we may as well be sisters. Our minds and our hearts are twins in so many ways. We have way bunches of fun talking to each other. So hopefully you will enjoy this podcast episode as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Andrea A. Michelle is a certified trauma-sensitive and stress coach for high-achieving executives, entrepreneurs, and other leaders. Her work is focused on providing a safe and supportive space for you to show up as yourself without the fear of judgment, criticism, or being misunderstood so that you can heal from the things that may have hurt you in the past and allow you to untrap yourself from identities that no longer serve you. As a former corporate leader driven by a desire to succeed and excel and a certified trauma-sensitive coach, master certified life coach and PhD student, can we say overachiever with a big smile? She is adept at integrating business, career, life, and personal goals to create a life of peace, clarity, freedom, and financial stability. Her core values are integrity, respect, empathy, inclusivity, and compassion. She believes there is one value that encompasses all of these, safety. As a trauma thriver, by the way, I love that term, She desires to ensure that every interaction feels safe, not causing harm for everyone. She is the CEO and founder of the Global Center for Trauma Education and Training, creator of the Healing in the Shadow membership, which she and I have discussed offline, and host of the Healing While Discovering Yourself podcast. Andrea currently lives in Wisconsin with her husband and two children. She's a marathon runner and loves to watch Dateline. One of my other favorite things about Andrea, in addition to the hundreds of others that I have found in my conversations with her, is that she has told me that being a trauma survivor does not mean being trauma sensitive. She Teaches about trauma sensitivity, whether or not you've survived trauma. That's one of the things that she brings to corporate audiences. Andrea,
1: welcome and thank you for being part of my podcast. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, having me. I'm so um, grateful that we, our paths crossed, and, and I'm so looking forward to spending this, this time with you and sharing what I know with your audience. Thank you. I just, I have way too much fun. How
0: does trauma sensitivity or lack of trauma sensitivity affect an organization?
1: Oh, oh my gosh. So we've all heard that saying, people don't lose companies. I mean, people don't leave companies. People leave people, right? Mm -hmm. People leave managers. Right. The cost of employee turnover, right, is significant. I think according to uh, Gallup's last poll, it, it costs in the, the billions of dollars every year for American, this is just American, not even Canadian, European, these other companies, but it costs billions of dollars to actually replace an employee. On average, if you have an employee who makes sixty thousand dollars, you're going to be paying okay. about twenty four thousand dollars in um, in cost to actually, actually replace this person, right? And so, if we know that people don't leave companies, that people leave managers, people leave people is basically what we're saying, and we already know that it's on average twenty four thousand dollars to replace people. So when we think about corporations, not only is there a employee uh, morale cost, right? Because when people are constantly leaving in and out, or when they hear about a um, disagreement between a certain manager and a certain department, so now you have potentially decreased employee morale, but then you also have an actual cost cost that is a direct impact on the company or the organization's bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. And usually what causes the dissatisfaction among your employees, among your team members is not necessarily the work that they're doing. It's the lack of communication between Mm -hmm. the employee, the team member and the team leader or the manager, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we can start with equipping the leaders, the managers, with the tools they need to become better communicators, then we can increase the employee morale, and then also directly and indirectly increase the top line over time, and for sure the bottom line, because you're not dealing with the the cost to actually replace an employee.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate you demonstrating both the Soft costs and the hard costs. I would like to have our audience understand your current passion and what
1: led you to it. Please. Mm. So, I think you know one of the things that I heard in um, since I started my PhD program. Uh, and a lot of it is mostly research, you know, researching different topics. And I heard someone say, especially when it comes to psychology, that it's not research, it's me-search, right? A lot of people who go into the field of psychology do so really motivated to understand themselves better and some of the things that the challenges um, that they have faced. And so, what led me to the work that I'm doing now, which is um, you know, providing leaders with the tools and education and training they need to be trauma sensitive is based on my own experience um, of number one, trauma, having an extremely traumatic childhood. For those of you who are familiar with the adverse childhood experiences um, tests or also known as ACEs, Um, The original ACEs include 10 different um, questions and you mark, you know, whether or not you've had an experience with them. And the more ACEs you have, the higher risk you are for um, other adverse life experiences, uh, as well as an early death. Well, when I took the original test, now the test has been expanded since then to include a number of different things because the original test did not include poverty, racism, racism homophobia and all of the things that we're bullying all of the things that we're dealing with today but when I took the original test I scored a nine out of 10 and so so technically from on paper I should be a basket case and this is not to make light of people who struggle with mental health um, issues but based on the research I should be a basket case because of all that I've experienced so what drove me here is number one, my own childhood trauma, and number two, my experiences of being a corporate leader. Before becoming a trauma-sensitive coach, I spent 15 years successfully climbing the corporate ladder in the accounting and finance industry. And within the 15 years of climbing that ladder, there were so many times where I was Um, either the only woman and for sure the only black person represented in the room. And there were times when I was sitting around with hundreds of leaders and there was no one else who looked like me. And yet the conversation only went one way without considering my own experiences. And people would say things that um, were rather insensitive. And I didn't necessarily say anything at the time. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. But then when I took a step back, just realizing that it's not necessarily the leader's fault that they're insensitive. And again, everybody's responsible for their own actions and, and decisions and, and what they do. Um, but I started thinking there's there's no school. There's no, no training that leaders get when it comes to trauma sensitivity. And as you brought up before, uh, I'm a fundamental believer that having an experience of trauma does not make you necessarily trauma sensitive. So that's how I got where I am. I know that was a long-winded answer to your question, but here we are.
0: Long-winded doesn't bother me any because we want to understand each other. And as the audience will understand, you and I, we can feed each other all over the place and talk for hours upon hours and enjoy every moment of it i took the aces test before it had the racism and the bullying and the homophobia and such i don't remember for sure i think i was a seven or an eight so same idea i should be completely unstable according to the research but i didn't want to be Mm -hmm. and i had been yep but after a lot of work and a lot of recognition and even using my own reframe, rewrite, redesign model yes. and lots of external help. I am so much better than I was. Yes. I still love that that you do put point out the difference between being trauma sensitive and being a trauma survivor and being a trauma thriver, though. Because yes. I think you and I both could qualify ourselves as trauma thrivers. Yes. But even I, who try to be trauma sensitive, might not be. So, mm-hmm. how would, what kind of tips? I know it could take a lot longer than we have for a podcast episode, but what mm-hmm. are a couple of things that those of us who either are trauma survivors or trauma thrivers, or even those who don't recognize having any trauma, how can we be more trauma sensitive?
1: So that's a great question. The first step in actually being trauma sensitive is having an awareness of your own traumas and your own triggers. See, part of the reason why being a trauma um, survivor uh, doesn't make you trauma sensitive is because most people just simply get over their experience, right? But they don't take the time to understand what their own triggers are. And they don't even stop to recognize them until they find themselves in a situation where they've overreacted. And then they're like, Oh my gosh, I should have been so much better than this. I should have known. And why didn't I, you know, respond this way and that way? Well, it's because they didn't take the time to get to know, identify and recognize what their uh, triggers were. And then not only that, here's the thing when it comes to um, trauma healing and healing from trauma. Uh, and, and I'm sure you know this, and I'll make this this really, really quick. When When we become traumatized, the memory fragments itself, right? So the memory, it doesn't stay whole, it doesn't stay the same, it fragments itself, right? because we need to survive. It does that in order for us to survive. It happens with everybody. The brain just automatically does that. We have no control over it. And so what typically happens as we heal through our trauma is we may have a fragment of a memory and we'll work through that. We'll use, like you use your triple R process. I use my release process. Therapy Therapists will use, you know, CBT, EMDR, right? A number of process to work with that specific memory. And then you work through that, you heal from that, you keep going, you're living life. And oh, here's another fragment of that memory. And then it comes and you do, you know, and you start the process over and over again. But see, most people, they just think that when they deal with the fragment of a memory, that oh, I went through this before, so I'm good. And they're not, they're no longer paying attention to those things. And so the first thing that someone can do to, even begin to be trauma sensitive is have an awareness of of their trauma and then be able to identify what their triggers are because then if they know what their triggers are when they are engaging with other people who also have triggers of their own, they won't react, right? From, they won't necessarily have that trauma response or react from that trigger place, but they will respond from a place of knowing that, oh wait, this is a trigger. Let me not engage with this person in the moment. Let me tell them, hey, you know what? Let's take five, right? Um, let's take five because this this is not healthy. Um, but if you don't know what your triggers are, you're just gonna keep going and, and this usually happens. So that's really the main difference between someone trauma sensitive. Now there are a bunch of nuances which we don't necessarily have time to go into, but the number one difference between being trauma sensitive and a trauma survivor is the individual being aware of their trauma and their triggers.
0: The next question I would like to ask is what do you find most rewarding in your work with the Global Center for Trauma Education?
1: The most rewarding thing for me is definitely the aha moments that um my clients have and it's not even the aha moments that they have about like a specific situation or circumstance it's the aha moment that they have when they realize like oh my gosh i'm thinking about a situation where i reacted from a trigger of mine now i know that the reason why I responded that way was because I was triggered, not that my employee or my team member did something wrong, but it was me, right? Like that is like the greatest moment. Every time I get, like I get excited, like it's happy, like it's me, like I had the aha moment um, because there's that greater awareness. And as you know, once there is an awareness of something, that's when change can begin to happen.
0: That is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you find most challenging in your work?
1: Mm. You know, because I do a lot of work around trauma, right? And so it's it's not the pretty stuff. It's the most challenging thing for me is, um, Actually making sure that when I have different engagements that I schedule some time for myself to release whatever energy or feelings, emotions that I may have um, associated with or that I have attached or made uh, my own in the process of helping them work through their own. Um, and so that's probably the most challenging: is um, not hearing the stories because I'm equipped to do that, but it's not making them my own. And then making sure, if I do, then making sure I always, whether I do or don't, set aside time for myself to basically decompress.
0: Thank you. I think that the challenge you just share exha- that you just shared as an experience is something that a lot of other people experience and possibly why leaders don't want to be trauma sensitive because they don't want to be trauma attacked.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's why the work that we do at the Global Center for Trauma Education and Training is so important because we equip leaders with the tools that they need so that when they do encounter a situation um, where someone is either responding from you know a place of being triggered, or there's something traumatic that happens at the workplace, or even in their their employees' lives that they don't a- attach themselves to that. And so we teach them the tools that they need so that, like I do after a situation, they can unpack it and create the space for themselves so that they can then go on. But 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 you're right. The reason why leaders don't want to be trauma sensitive because I work. Would- They don't want to have to take that on themselves and they don't have to.
0: Thank you. I think that's been a big personal learning experience in my life is trying to listen, trying to encourage, trying to embrace the person without embracing the trauma.
1: Exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. So I, I love that for those of you who are listening and viewing, I give guests an opportunity to choose from a series of questions or give me some of their own so that we can guide our conversations. And one of the questions that Andrea chose just makes me smile because I have a feeling that I know where this is going to go. So I, I, I choose from those that she chose to ask this one. What advice, Andrea, would you give your in quotes worst enemy?
1: <laughs> I didn't even remember that I selected that question. I'm like, "Wait, what question did I choose <laughs>
0: but But this is really going to apply in my mind, to an engaged company culture because there are times that employees feel like so and so is out to get me or so and so doesn't like me or so and so is my enemy and turning that on its head, which is one of the things I love to do with my reframe, rewrite, redesign, turning it on its head and saying, this person is my worst enemy. What advice would I give this person? Also in my mind gives us the opportunity to look at ourselves and say, "Huh, what advice would I give me in responding to this? So that's why I got excited about seeing that one in your selection. <laughs>
1: You know, the advice that I would give to my worst enemy and I think everybody can use this advice is it's not personal. Whatever has happened between the two of us, right? Number 1, my response has nothing to do with you and I believe that your response has nothing to do with me. And I believe that we both may have responded from from a place of our own wounding, right? And so to know that whatever our interactions were that I promise you, it wasn't personal. If I, if you thought I slammed the door in your face, I was probably thinking about something and didn't even see you standing there, right? It's possible that we can be so caught up in our own thoughts that we can't necessarily see what's right in front of us. And so whatever it was that I did to you, it wasn't personal. And then let's say if, if there wasn't a, a situation where I may have intentionally done something to hurt you or done something to you, I still say that it wasn't you. It wasn't your face that I was seeing, right? It was the face of my mother, my father, my, my grandfather, my grandmother, my uncle. It was, it was the face of someone else who hurt me and you were the substitute for that. So it's, it's, it's not you and it's not personal. And, 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 and because I want to make sure that we are both clear, I apologize. I apologize. If I don't know what it is, I apologize for whatever it was that I did. And if you care to share with me what it is I did, I would love to sit and listen and hold the space for that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It comes back to what you were saying earlier, that lack of communication creates more problems than anything else. If somebody feels attacked, it is not necessarily because of the person. You know, it's, it's not you. It's Right the reaction of the person and could very well be responding to a trigger, responding to a situation, having a flashback, whether vivid or feeling only, and it might have nothing to do with the person. But if you don't tell me that I've hurt you, I can't fix it.
1: Right. And I I won't know. Yeah,
0: exactly. And,
1: And that's part of being trauma sensitive too is, Being able to, in real time, right, see like, oh, wait, this, what this person is saying to me right now, it, in my opinion, right, if you're the leader, it feels like an overreaction. And I typically don't like to use the word overreact because I fundamentally believe that people believe in that instant that they're reacting appropriately. Right. right. And so I traditionally right. like don't like to use that word overreaction because it feels judgmental to me now. Nothing against mm-hmm. anyone who uses that word, um, But as a trauma-sensitive leader, you will, instead of say, oh my gosh, they overreacted when I said I needed that report yesterday and it wasn't done. As a trauma-sensitive leader, instead of then you reacting to this overreaction, you would be able to, with the proper training and the tools to take a step back and say, oh, okay. This is, 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 is a reaction that is above and beyond what the situation requires. So perhaps this is not about the report. It's about something else. And there may be something going on outside of work that has triggered this response. So instead of going toe-to-toe with your team member, your employee, you either take a step back, or you say, you know what, I'm going to give you time. Do you need to go for a walk? How can I support you in this moment? Making them feel safe. And then once you make your employees feel safe, they'll then open up and you'd be surprised what they'll share with you. Again, not that you want to be a therapist or anything like that, but at least you create some sort of safety, some sort of space for them to feel like they'll be heard and not threaten like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be ridden up because then when they start thinking like that, they're not going to be productive at all. And then you're going to still lose money because you have to pay them for being on the clock, but they're not even productive.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. In fact, the funny thing is I was going to ask you, so how would you tell a leader to respond? And you answered already. I love that you have that built in with, okay, let me see how I can support you. I might need your guidance. I need to step away because your reaction is causing a reaction in me and I, I want to give space to give you the recognition that life is life and you are human, you're not a machine and let's work together so that we can move forward. That safe place, it's it's part of your overall mission, vision and identity and it's exactly what you're creating through the Global Center for Trauma Education and Training. I love it. And in an engaged company culture is a safe place. It's a place where people want to be, where people get excited about going to work on Monday. Even if you, there are many different metrics out there, many different assessments that you can use. I've even created one of my own, but if you look at Gallup's 12 questions, one of them is something to the effect of, does somebody at work care about me? Does my supervisor care about me as a person? Mm. And that's one of Gallup's measures of engagement, that they feel safe. So- That's, that's something I think that we do need to recognize, realizing that, well, I want to be important to somebody. Oh, maybe so does my employee. Oh, maybe so does my coworker. Oh, how can I be supportive? I agree. Don't be a therapist, but be an ear, be at least somebody that can be
1: trusted. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're concerned, OK, let's let's look at because, you know, I retired from a very successful corporate career um, as a corporate controller uh, in the accounting and finance field, spent 15 years in, in that. I have my MBA, um, so I'm very well burst, versed in the language of business and, and now with, with working towards my Ph.D. in the language of psychology and all of that. But let's take a step back, Dr. Catherine, and and let's say we look at this from a pure business numbers perspective. Here's the thing. When you look at a balance sheet, it has your assets, your liabilities, and your owner's equity, which is the value for the shareholders in the company, right? The largest asset of any and every organization is the people, Absolutely. because without the people, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Even if 90% of your company is run by, let's say robots, machines, computers, whatever you want to call it, there still needs to be a human being who is there to help make sure that the robot, the machine, the computer, the technology is doing what it is supposed to do. Because Uh if the the technology doesn't work properly, then ain't nobody doing nothing or ain't no machine doing nothing. So even if 90% of the production comes from the machine, it still needs at least one human being to make it work. So when we look at an uh, engaged company culture, when we look at a trauma sensitive organization, the heart of, of all of this is ensuring that your asset, your people are taken care of. If you don't do that, then you are a failing company and I don't care what your top line or your bottom line says. You have to pay attention to your assets. Your people are your largest assets, whether it reflects it on the balance sheet or not, because without your people, without your employees, nothing gets done.
0: (laughs) Yes. I just find myself wanting to jump up and holler. That's absolutely,
1: absolutely right. I just had to throw that out there for your people who are like, yeah, but she's a psychologist and yeah, I'm working towards it, but I do have, I'm very well versed in business and I know how it works and I know the impact that it can have on the, like I said, top line and bottom line.
0: Well, and I love that you brought that out. In fact, I think that that is the perfect consolidation of our talk. I just think you summed everything up so concisely and beautifully. I will put in the show notes how people can reach you, but let's have you say it right here. What's the best way for people who want to learn more about making their organizations trauma-sensitive and gaining... Trauma education and healing through your global center. How, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: So, the best way for them to learn more about what we do at the Global Center for Trauma Education and Training is to go to globalcenterfortrauma.com. That's globalcenterfortrauma.com. So, they can go there and learn more about what we do at the Global Center for Trauma. If they'd like to um, get more information, Um, and engage in our certifications, we have a a coaching certification, and then an organizational certification or distinction, then um, there is a spot on our contact page, they can uh, submit that information. And then we'll be in touch with them. We're also on, you know, LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, we're, we're on Facebook, we're on all the social channels. But if they are interested um, in becoming a trauma sensitive organization, the best way is to either go to the website and submit a contact form, um, or they can send a DM on, on social media. However, we're slower responding on social media. The website and submit the contact form is the quickest and probably most uh, efficient way.
0: Oh, that is brilliant. And for everybody who is listening or viewing, that will be in the show notes. Andrea, Thank you. You have been a total joy. I always love talking to you. Same. Everybody who has listened or viewed, thank you for enjoying this episode of Engaged Company Culture. If there is someone you know who wants to learn how to become a more trauma-sensitive individual or help the organization become a trauma-sensitive organization, reach out to Andrea Michelle. If you want additional help with your alignment in your organization to create natural profits, reach out to me, Dr. Catherine, a profitable alignment, and we will take care of you. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to or viewing today's engaged company culture episode. I hope you have enjoyed the episode. I hope you have learned something and have something that you can apply today to engage your company culture and encourage your employees to enjoy work, looking forward to Mondays instead of only looking forward to Fridays. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone else you know. Also, like, and subscribe to Engaged Company Culture anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you and have a wonderful day.